Hi Church. Hi there. I'm Paul Stevenson and this is my wife, Tacony. And last week we moved house, uh, which is can which can be one of the more stressful things to do. We can safely say that we could not have done it without the help and support of lots of family and friends here at Destiny. And we decided to do the move ourselves and we hired two vans. And we needed a, a driver for one for one of the vans. Um, and our, our friend Scott volunteered for this. Um, and he gave up uh, Thursday evening um, and the whole of Friday, uh, the complete day, um, to drive the van. Um, and he's a, he's a self-employed uh, software engineer, um, so he gave up uh, a whole working day um, over that um, uh, to help us out. Yeah, what a star. And there was a lot of hanging around as well. Um, on the night before the move, lots of people from our home group, from the worship team, um, just other friends at Destiny, all came over to, to help us. They loaded the van um, and helped to clean the whole house. In total, I think we had um, sort of eight people around. It was just amazing. They're all just running around doing different things. You might know uh, Anne and Brian, um, who, are, who are on the staff here at Destiny. They work in their catering and pastoring teams, um, and they're really the kind of people um, that, that you want around at, at a time like this. Uh, they, they packed and they cleaned, and, and they even cooked our first meal in the new house, which is great. Yeah. Um, Martin, who's on the worship team, um, he helped on Thursday night and on the Friday night and he even came back um, the following week to help us unpack and move more furniture in the house. I don't think we can get rid of him now. And we, we're, just, we're just so grateful um, for, uh, to everyone uh, and we're so thankful to be blessed by, by so many wonderful people that, uh, that helped us out. Yeah, they give us their time and we really, really value it. We are very grateful indeed. So thank you everybody for being family, being church. It's great. Every week we're showing little clips that talk about this is who we want to be as God's people. In fact, it's who we are being, to be honest. It's just not everyone's aware of it. And it's great. These clips are all about making everyone aware of actually what's happening. Because I get to hear these stories every week, but it's nice for you guys to get a bit of a glimpse in at what's happening. So I've already got about three or four clips lined up for the next few weeks. So there is just a lot of great things happening in people's lives. And we just want to champion some of the stories of God working through his people. Well, it's good to have you here. If you're visiting with us, my name is Peter, the pastor here at Destiny Church. And we're going to take a moment to look at the Bible. We've been working our way through a specific theme, looking at the the, the mega theme in the Bible of covenants. We see that we've taken, this is the fourth week on the subject of covenant, and we see that covenant is a huge theme throughout the Bible and it has massive implications for our lives today. Today I'm going to be speaking specifically about the idea of teamwork. Now I'm going to try something I've actually never tried before, I just heard it works. But I'm going to do it publicly in front of you all. Okay, so, hey, uh, James, can I have a volunteer please? Thanks James, let's hear for James. Yay! Okay, James, I've got my little battery pack here. Okay, James is going to lift me on this seat with one finger. Let's hear it for James as he tries this incredible feat. Give it James one finger, man. Just carefully put that, man. Yeah. God. James, James. 
Whoa, look at that. <laughs> nearly, nearly. Okay, third row back. You guys there. Any more volunteers? Thanks, guys. Let's hear it for these. this third row back. Let's hear it for the whole row. And in this row, we have Sebastian, who could lift me with one <laughs> finger. So any, any time today, guys, that'd be great. Okay. This phenomenal team of weightlifters are now going to lift me with one finger. So take me away, guys. Now, just, just don't go that direction. <laughs> Is it going to work? Whoa, that balance. That, that, hey. Hey. Whoa. Hey, thank you, guys. I lived. Oh, wow. That was really dangerous. <laughs> team effort accomplishes a lot more than individual effort. An individual can accomplish a certain amount, but together we can accomplish a lot more. However, getting a team mobilized is a lot harder than mobilizing an individual, but it has a lot more impact. The Church of Jesus Christ is always meant to be a team. How do communities form? If you look around the world, you look in your community, how is it that this thing we call communities form? I guess communities form by people living in the same place, you know, and what they have in common is they live in that area, so they're a community. Other communities form around, say, sport. So you've got people who support a particular team. Doesn't mean they're sporting; <laughs> they're fitter anyway. They're just supporters of a team. Or you have people who play sports, and that, and they kind of they gel because they're in that team together. And all of a sudden, you've got this thing that we call community. Um. Or politics, people cheering on a particular political party and they kind of rally around other people who cheer on that political party and they feel this sense of linkage because of their cause, okay? I guess the question would be, what comes first, the community or the cause, okay? Is it the sport comes first, then the community comes after? Is it the community comes first, then the sport comes after? Is it the politics that comes first, and then the community comes as a result? Or is it that the community comes first and then the politics comes as a result? I think we'd agree that the sport comes first and the community comes after. The cause comes before the community, yeah? And we see this, you know, we see this all over the place. Anyone seen the, the TV series that Steven Spielberg produced with Tom Hanks, Band of Brothers? Anyone, anyone seen Band of Brothers? Cool, five of you, because you're just Christians and you don't watch TV, that's great. <laughs> Epic set of movies, really cool. And it's following the true story of Easy Company as they arrive on D-Day, way back in Second World War, right through to the completion of the European conquest. That was the journey, and, and every episode showed a different aspect of their lives together. And what was incredibly strong is these people experienced communitas, which is a deeper level of community. They were so completely committed to each other as a band of brothers. They were, they were so dedicated to watching each other's backs on the battlefield. They were just dedicated to get through this war and getting through it together and surviving. It's an incredible film, but we understand that. But what rallied them together? They would have never picked hanging out with each other. It's just that they were in a war together. And therefore, as a result, by default, they were instantly communitas. They were close. Graham last week talked about the importance of covenant relationships and a covenant community. He used the word that the Bible uses, the word fellowship, which is the Greek word koinonia, which literally means something shared together. 
In other words, when you've got something you're sharing with someone else, you instantly have a community. And the biggest thing we can share is Jesus Christ. You know, if, if you've connected with God, and I've connected with God, I have an instant connection with you. And I find that wherever I go around the world, I meet people who have a real authentic life connection with Jesus Christ. And you know what? I'm their brother. And that's eternal. And that's revolutionary. That's just, and they might have nothing else in common with me. They might be a completely different age group, totally different type of person. They might be so different to me. And yet we've got the biggest thing ever in common, God. But here's the other thing we have in common as a covenant community. We have a mission. God has given us all a mission. Right across this world, every believer has a mission. You know, the strange thing is, if you make community your goal, it's the very thing you won't get. But if you give yourself to the mission that God has put us to accomplish, you get community by default. That is a very important truth. Especially as a church, when we're talking about the importance of community, when we're championing community with things like film clips like we just showed a minute ago, especially when we're in this kind of environment where we're talking about the importance of community, the danger is the community becomes our priority because community isn't our priority. We find community as a result of a cause. And our cause primarily is God. And our cause is the mission that God has put us here to accomplish. One of the greatest examples of this in the natural world is geese, you know, flying to get better weather. You know, uh, in Scotland, winter comes around about kind of July. Uh, the geese think, Flip, this is cold, I'm out of here. And, uh, and every Scot goes on online and books their, <laughs> books their holidays or looks at pictures of sunny places and wraps up warm. And that, that's how it goes. And then the geese fly off. And what happens is the geese get into formation just by default. It's just kind of inbred in them. There's this natural inclination to be in a formation. They form these V formations. Last Sunday, I had been across at uh, Fife with our students. I was coming back for the morning meeting here, and I was looking at the sky, and there was tons of these V formations going across the sky. Engineers did some research into the V formation using wind tunnels, and they discovered that the, the kind of the wisdom behind that formation, that as each bird flies behind the other birds, the wings of the bird in front creates an uplift for the birds behind. Furthermore, they discovered that flocks are able to travel 71% greater flying range than if they journeyed alone. That their ability to travel distance is multiplied hugely by traveling together. So here we are in the Western world where the emphasis is on be an individual, be yourself, stand out from the crowd, fight your way ahead. But here we come to God's word, the Bible and God's community, the church and God's covenant, which is a community. And he says, no, no, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Be devoted to one another, love one another, prefer one another. We see all these one another's, this emphasis on this community. So here's the verses we're going to look at today. Come with me to 1 Peter Chapter 2, starting from verse 9 to 12. This is God's word to you as God's people. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, 
But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may become, uh, they, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Here's the Apostle Peter, uh, quoting actually from the Old Testament. The part from the Old Testament he's quoting from is Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. And this is what it says in Exodus 19, 5 and 6. If, this is God speaking, if you obey me fully and keep my covenants, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These words you are to speak to the Israelites. It's interesting. Here's the apostle Peter, thousands of years after Exodus was written, quoting almost verbatim the words from Exodus and speaking it to the church. Here's why. Because God spoke that to Israel in Exodus as God's covenant people. Today, God's covenant people are not restricted to a racial group, to the Jews. God's covenant people are anyone who connects with God through Jesus Christ. So Peter writes to the church and says, okay, God's covenant people represented on earth at that time with the Israelites. Today, on earth, God's covenant people are people from all tribes, nations, and tongues who call on God through the name of Jesus, who are saved, the church of Jesus Christ. We are the covenant community of God's people. So he, first of all, gives us this identity. First of all, he says, you're a chosen race. Chosen race. As soon as you got the word chosen before it, it makes it awesome. You know, if you were thinking about your destiny in life, your purpose in life, why you're here, you know, as soon as you add the word chosen before it, it makes it so special because all of a sudden you've moved out of the realm of making up my own purpose for myself into the realm of God purposed me for a purpose. God allocated me for a destiny. God has a reason for my life. You're chosen. And the thing about this thing called destiny is this. Destiny lives you. You don't live your destiny. You don't choose your destiny. It was chosen for you. You don't wear it, it wears you. If the analogy is the hand and the glove, you're not the hand. God's the hand and wear the glove. I believe that we don't put God on, God puts us on. And when God wants to accomplish things on earth, he puts the church like clothes on him and through the church of Jesus Christ impacts the world. God uses you. You don't get to use God. Destiny existed before you did. Just like parents dreaming of their kids. You could say those kids existed before they were born because they existed in the minds of the parents in their dreams about how we'll decorate their room and how we'll buy that cot for them and the dreams that they had and the way they saved up for them. They existed, the kids existed before they were born. Same with you. You existed before you were born. You existed in the mind of God and the heart of God from way back, actually before the foundation of the world. It says in Psalm 139, 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before you had even one day on planet earth, God had them all written down in a book, his plan for your life. That's mind-blowing. Ephesians 1 verse 4, 
He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I would go as far to say as he made the world for you. He made the world for the human race and he purposed you. He had a design for you specifically. I don't care if your parent says, you were an accident. I don't care. God, you were an accident to him. He planned you. He predestined you. He had a purpose for you. And you need to understand this, that God has tailor-made you with unique gifts, talents, and abilities to accomplish things on earth that actually only you could accomplish. God won't tailor your destiny to fit you. He tailors you to fit a destiny. Now, often when we think about destiny, we think about it as a very personal thing. God has a destiny for me. God has a purpose for me. And that's true. But actually, when you look in the New Testament, the emphasis of the word destiny is on his people. Here it says, you are a chosen race. God, as a people, has given you a rich destiny. And together, we have a destiny to accomplish in God. God's covenant people have an agenda. We're his special people. And together, we're here to accomplish something great. And as we're on track with a cause, the community comes as a result. God's a plan for you. Are you connected with God today? Or are you miles away from him? I want to urge you today, if you have never really authentically connected with God, I'm not talking about being religious or being christened as a kid. I'm talking about in the here and now. If you don't have an active, alive relationship with your creator, today you can have that. He's here. Jesus died for you on the cross. That's how bad your sin was. He rose again so you can be forgiven and know him for eternity. Come to him. Give your whole life to him. At the end of the service, I will give you an opportunity for you to come down the front and give your life to God. If that's you today, really think about taking that step. God has a purpose for you. It says you're a chosen race. The word race, you know, we think about race and you think, man, you're a different race to me. Okay, Peter, you're European. I'm from Asia. Okay, or you could say, Peter, you're a different race to me. I'm from Edinburgh. You're from Glasgow, right? You've got different, we have different races in this room. I don't know how many, I, I guess we begin towards 40 nationalities in our church. It's very exciting. We have different races, okay? But here the Bible says, you're a chosen race. That's not talking about the color of your skin or where you were born. That's talking about your new identity in God, isn't it? And how many people understand that your new identity in God's that race, that chosen race you've become outweighs by a hundred in terms of importance your natural race. Now, your natural race is important. Where you were born is important. Your natural culture, that's a gift from God. And every culture is rich and has wonderful facets of godliness in it. But nevertheless, when you come to God, you have this new identity in God. You are a chosen race. And that race is so much more important than your earthly race. And we should see it that way. And then it goes on and says, you're a royal priesthood. Now, when you think of priests, you think of the Catholic priests who, actually, that isn't in the Bible. In the Old Testament, you had priests who were leaders, where the leader, the, the priests in the Old Testament, the Levites, would go to God on behalf of God's people. And they would pray on behalf of God's people and they would offer sacrifices on behalf of God's people. They were like the link between God and the people. In the New Testament, you don't find leaders referred to anywhere in the New Testament as priests. So 
I don't know where the Catholics have got this from. It's not from the Bible. But what you do find in the New Testament is this, the priesthood of every believer. If you have become a believer in Jesus Christ, you literally have become a priest. You think, oh no. Because <laughs> I know some of your backgrounds, you think, no. Can I, can I get married? Yeah. Don't worry. You've literally become a priest. And a priest, what does that mean? Well, it means, like in the Old Testament, you get to go to God on behalf of the people. You get to become this link between God and other people. Who are the people you're linking God to? Who are, you, who are the people who are getting, getting to God through you? Who are they? Well, who are they? They're the people who are yet outside of God's covenant community. That's the people in the world who currently haven't connected with God's. You become, we become a royal priesthood, or as Revelation says, a kingdom of priests. A kingly royal priesthood. As God's people, we get to connect our world with our God and introduce them to God. In Latin, the word priest literally translates bridge builder. And I reckon that's a good idea, a good picture to have in your mind. It's like we're building bridges between God and people. That's your high calling. As God's people, Destiny Church Edinburgh, we're here to build a bridge between the creator of Almighty, the God who created everything, who loves this world, and so loved the world that he died on the cross. We're here to create a bridge between God and the people in your family, the people in your community, people in your workplace, the people in your place where you study, the people in the pub near your house. We're here to create a bridge between the world and God. That's our high calling. Now, I believe God's got this calling for you. Then it says you're a holy nation. Holy means different, separate. As God's people, we're, we're like a nation, a nation among the nations, a people among the peoples, like a community within the communities, a city within the city. We're God's distinct people, but it says we're holy. Holy means different and separate. That means, in one sense, we, we look like everyone out there. We dress like them. We sound like them. We eat the same stuff the folks out there eat, apart from in January. <laughs> but bring on February. We'll just look like them again. Okay. So what makes us different? Well, here's the difference. We have a colossally different agenda in our hearts. We've got God. And I want to live for him with all my heart. And I didn't used to. I want to live for myself with all my heart. I want to live in a way that satisfied self. That was my old life. In my new life, I'm saying, God, with everything within me, I just want to live for you. That's different. That's holiness. And God is calling us to be different in that sense, but not in a weird religious sense. As so often people have translated holiness, not going to the cinema and wearing a hat and dressing in a suit. And Man, I don't mind if you don't go to the cinema or if, if you want to wear a hat, as long as it's a cool hat. <laughs> but the cool thing and the really important thing is this, is actually you're, you're different in the right areas, not in the religious areas. You're different on the inside. You're living with an entirely different agenda. That's what holiness means. And it says, a people for God's own possession. Now, this is now moving into covenant talk. This is, you're God's possession. He owns you. He bought you at a very high price on the cross. When Jesus died on that cross, he literally shed his blood. And in that moment, he was literally giving himself to the world. So remember a few weeks ago, we looked at the new covenant. Jesus at the Last Supper, just like we did today, we broke bread and we had that grape juice which represents blood. And Jesus said, as he, after the supper, he says, Here, this is the, take, this, drink this cup, this blood, this wine represents the new covenant in my blood. 
what was happening as Jesus was dying on the cross was literally God was shedding his own blood to start a covenant with the human race. That's an unbreakable agreement. And again, let me say this again. If you're here today and you haven't got that connection with God, you need to understand before you've done anything for God, before you've done any one thing for God, he's done everything for you. On the cross, he literally did everything for you. He shed his blood to initiate a covenant, whether you want to have a covenant with him or not. The ball's now in your court. Do you want it? Do you want to be in an unbreakable relationship for the rest of your life with God? Well, it'll take everything from you. It'll be like literally, God have my all. That's what it means to come into covenant with God. We're his, speci- we're his possession. Literally, you're saying, God, my life's yours. And in turn, here's the amazing thing. God says, and my life is yours. We have given ourselves to him and he has given himself to us. You know, we talk about commitment to God, sure. But you need to understand a bigger truth. God is committed to you. That's covenant. So we are the people for God's own possession. So what's our mission? We're this covenant community. What is our mission here? Okay, let's go on in the verses. First Peter 2 verse 9. That's just what we read. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priest to a destiny church. You're a holy nation destiny church. You're God's own possession destiny church. Why? Here you go. So that you may proclaim the excellences of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, we are a community, but our community comes out of a cause. We are a people with an agenda, and the agenda is set by God. And here's the agenda. We're here to proclaim the excellences of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I said a few weeks ago that Bryn Jones, uh, that famous leader in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, he said this, covenant is more than a list of regulations. It's more than a contract or an agreement. It's an opening up of flow of life between us and God. God has literally given everything of himself to us, and we have given everything of ourselves to him. The closest analogy on the human realm would be marriage, where a husband has literally given everything of himself to her and vice versa. In fact, at the wedding vows, they say, all that I am, I give you, and all that I have, I share with you. That's, I guess, the closest picture of what happens between us and God. And the ultimate expression of that marriage relationship is that children are born from that intimacy. And so too, when we as God's people are walking in intimate connection with God, offspring are birthed. Spiritual new births happen. People around us start to come alive in God because we're proclaiming the excellences of him to a city and a world in need. And they're coming alive all around us. The words evangelism and witnessing are kind of harsh, cold words, aren't they? I mean, we believe in them, but they're kind of, whoa, witnessing. I will witness to you now. Yeah, I'm going to evangelize people. Right? But it doesn't speak of relationship, does it? And yet, what we're to do is we're to bear fruit out of a relationship with God. We're to see people come to know God out of our relationship with God. And it's, it's a bit less harsh, and it's more relational. It says we're here to 
proclaim the excellences of him. The word excellences in the Greek language is artax, which means the, his moral goodnesses, his virtues, his character, and his deeds. We're here to represent his character, his virtues to the world. I don't know, have you ever been in a situation where someone's represented your character to someone else? You're not there to speak for yourself. They're kind of speaking on your behalf. It's kind of a weird feeling, isn't it? Guys, you remember when you were younger and you said, you got your mate, can you go and ask her out for me? And imagine they went over and said, ah, he's, he kind of farts a lot and he, he's, got, he doesn't, he's not very clean and he's kind of got a wandering eye. And, you know, kind of, but he really wants to date you. You come over all kind of suave, you know. You're like, come on, they totally misrepresented me. No, you can't relate to that. No, okay, no, you can't. But when it comes to God, how many times has God been utterly misunderstood by our world? People misunderstand God because they go through a real rubbish time in life. And they say, well, God must hate me. And that's a misinterpretation of your circumstance. God doesn't hate you. You have no idea what he's done to demonstrate that he loves you. He doesn't hate you. Also, religious people misrepresent God to the world. They really do. How many people have been put off God because of religious people? Bigots, narrow-minded people. Folks who are just completely harsh and brutal and unhuman. Dweebs. Puts people off God misrepresents God. And yet the Bible says we're here to proclaim the excellences of him. Let me just quickly take you to another set of verses. This is in John 17. Jesus is praying for his disciples, famous prayer before he goes to the cross. And this is what he prayed in John 17, verse 15 to 16 and verse 18. Jesus said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So Jesus starts saying, I do not pray that you uh, take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That's important. There's balance there. Don't take them out of the world, God. That's kind of, that's fundamentalism. You know, withdraw from the world, bad, evil world. You know, heaven's the goal. Hide away in your monasteries. Have no connection with the sinners out there. You know, Jesus said, no, no, don't take them out of the world. And yet, fundamentalists, you know, keep the world away. You know, buy a plot of land, put a fence around us, load your shotgun, have tins of beans, homeschool your kids, Jesus is coming. You know, and it's fundamentalism. He says, don't take them out of the world, Father. Keep them in the world. But he says, but keep them from the evil one. Now that's gone to the other extreme. That's liberalism. That's where people water down their faith and try and make it gel with the way of the world so there's no clash. And they make their, their kind of belief systems and the world's belief system blend and it waters everything down and it's horrendous. So God doesn't want you to uh, be out of the world, but he certainly doesn't want you to be out of the world like a fundamentalist. He wants you to be in the world, but nevertheless, he doesn't want you to compromise with the world and water things down to be blending with the world. He wants us to be like Jesus. Jesus said, as you sent me into the world, Father, I have sent them into the world. This covenant community of God's people who love each other, who believe in resolving conflict with each other, who break bread together, this people of God, we have God in common. We also have a mission in common. 
Our mission is just as Jesus was sent into this world. Our mission is we are sent into this world. Not to compromise with the world and not to be hardcore fundamentalists with the world, but to be like Jesus was with the world. You see, Jesus is the perfect example of engaging the culture. He's the greatest demonstration of this. He left the streets of gold to walk the dusty streets of the Roman Empire. He left his home in heaven to be born in a stable. He left heaven to come into earth. You know, he didn't just show up on earth. That was just the beginning. When he was on earth, while he was here, he engaged all types of people. He engaged with people that others would reject, that the religious people would typically not associate with or hang out with. Jesus was constantly going outside of his culture, outside of his race, outside of his religious grouping to engage people who were different to him. Jesus knew that holiness is separation from sin, not separation from sinners. There's a big difference. Jesus was able to engage his culture and to relate to his culture because he was not afraid to connect with sinful people, thinking that somehow they will taint his holiness. But rather he had a conviction that the life of God would transform them. He was relevant because he walked where they walked, and yet he didn't do what they did. He spent time with drunkards, and yet he never got drunk. He spent time with corrupt tax officials, and yet he was not corrupt. He spent time with prostitutes, but he never compromised his moral standards. Jesus was popular with common people. He was unpopular with religious people. Today, the church is so often the opposite of that. The church is popular with the religious and unpopular with Joe Bloggs public. That's very unlike Jesus. And God is calling us actually to not be like religion, but to be like Jesus. To be people like Jesus as you sent me, so I send you. Keep them in the world, God. But don't let the evil one have them. Don't compromise with the world, but nevertheless engage the world. Be on the coal face. Connect with people. Let me read you a quote by a man called Steve Merle. We've asked all our leaders to read Steve Merle's book ahead of the Leaders Weekend Away. Anyone can read it. It's a very good book. And it really is speaking to us about where we want to take the church on a number of fronts. Steve Merle wrote this book, Wiki Church. He talks about the journey of his church in Manila and the Philippines. His, his church started on the back of a little summer mission and they saw 160 people come to faith. He, Steve Merle was there with his wife and they figured, we can't just leave these people and go back to America. We're going to stay here for a few months longer. Anyway, 25 years later, they're still there. The church has grown from 165 people to 52,000 people in Manila. Incredible. But he talks about how before he was a believer in Jesus in America, there he was, and he had some friends who were Christians, and, and this is what he says. When I became a teenager, a few times I'd been invited by Christian classmates to attend their church youth group activities and Bible studies. I was pretty good at saying no. I was not ready to dive into their world. However, I couldn't keep them from diving into mine. I am forever grateful for Ron Musselman, the youth pastor, he didn't just invite me to his church worlds. He jumped into my not-so-churchy worlds. When you look at Jesus in contrast with the Pharisees in the New Testament, 
you find a good contrast between what we should be and so often what religion is. Interestingly, in the New Testament, the Pharisees were actually aggressively evangelistic. Many of us don't realize that. They were. Jesus criticized their evangelistic techniques. Matthew 23, 15, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice the child of hell as you are. <laughs> so I, I love Jesus. He's just, yeah. So there. All right. They were aggressively evangelistic, but their way of evangelism was total non-engagement. They would travel places and they would only connect with people who were like them. They, would only, they wouldn't connect with anyone. They wouldn't dare connect with anyone who was a sinner or kind of an unclean profession or associating with Rome. Or, you know, they, they were just so, they were snobs. They had this, this engagement from people. Jesus, however, was entirely the different. He wasn't known for non-engagement. Jesus was known for his engagement with sinners. To the point where the Pharisees, speaking about Jesus, said in Luke 7, 34, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of sinners, sorry, tax collectors and sinners. That was what they called Jesus, a glutton and a drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners. So imagine the Pharisees were to send a party of people to investigate your life. Imagine they spent a week with you, following you everywhere you went and taking notes about your life. Imagine at the end of the week, they had a summary of your life. Would it be, having looked at your life all week long, we'd surmise, you're a friend of Christians. Or would they say like Jesus, you're a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, I know for some of you, we'd say that, but we know that's the wrong way around for you. <laughs> okay, you maybe didn't get that. Jesus wants you to be like him. He wants you to engage the world around us. This covenant community of God's people, listen, what I'm saying is this, what we've been saying in this last four weeks is this, we're in connection with God. And as a result, we're in connection with each other. And we've got to get the connection with each other happening strongly because it hasn't been strong enough in our church. We've got to love each other. We've got to go the extra mile for each other. When you see a need, you've got to meet the needs. You've got to really be authentic community. You cannot just be a crowd. You've got to connect. You've got to get into home groups. Build relationships. That's what we've been saying. But here's what we're also saying, and this is the balance today. If you just did that, and to hell with the world, we're just buddies with each other then we're so unlike Christ. Equally, if all we did was spend our time with the world and stuff the church, we're just going to be missional. We're just going to be connecting like friend of sinners and spend all our time out here. Well, that's an aspect of Christ-likeness. But we'd be very shallow as a church. You've got to have both. We've got to be a community that loves one another, but also a community that goes out the extra mile to reach precious individuals in this city that God on the cross died for. We've got to have that balance and that tension we've got to hold together. See, Jesus didn't expect unbelievers to jump into his world. So what happened 2,000 years ago was God the creator jumped into our world. And that's called the incarnation. Let me read you an excerpt from a man called Chuck Quinley from his book, I Want to Bear Fruit. He and his wife, Cherie, were missionaries in Asia. And having moved to their brand new house, 
they decorated the house and really Cherie, that was her forte. She kind of, the, the living room in particular meant a lot for them because the living room as missionaries, that was where they were going to connect with a lot of the local folks, have them over for de- meals, build the connections, hopefully introduce them to Jesus. And that was, that was an important room for them. So she was decorating the room. She had a nice sofa. She had nice cushions with matching curtains. It was all immaculate, wonderful. They started inviting people over for, for meals. And what they discovered very quickly was that because of the aggressive marketing in that particular part of Asia, most of the folks they invited over smoked. And so they would sit down and they would all be in this lovely living room that they just freshly decorated. And in, in the middle of their time together, almost every time, they'd bring a cigarette out, light up, and they'd be having their cigarette in the, through the conversation. Then they'd get to a point halfway through the cigarette and ha- the ash is ha- kind of hanging off. And then an awkward moment where they realized, there's no ashtrays. And then they spend their cup, hands embarrassedly cupped underneath the cigarette to catch the ash. And all the conversation stopped. And this happened so many times. So they had this dilemma. Do we buy ashtrays? We don't want to buy ashtrays. <laughs> so this is what Chuck said in his book. To be honest, we didn't want them smoking in our house. We thought that they would get the message if there were no ashtrays. We were sacrificing time and energy to get to know them. But there had to be a line drawn somewhere to say, we will go this far and no more. And smoking was the line. Smoke uh, stained the curtains. People burned the new upholstery by carelessly waving their firebrands around. Anyway, this went on for weeks. And they started sensing the Holy Spirit speaking to them. And Chuck knew that it would really have to be Cherie's call because she was the one who was house proud and it would be, have to be up to her whether she made this call. And one day she came back from the grocery store with an ashtray. She put it in her living room. And this is what Chuck says. Every, every husband knows that he's really living in his wife's house. <laughs> I knew it. It was up to Cherie to decide and that that had to come from her heart. One day she came back from the grocery store with an ashtray. I was so proud of my wife. The funny thing was that once we had made the decision and purchased an ashtray, hardly anyone ever ever smoked in our house again. (laughs) I mean, how far are you willing to go? Holiness is separation from sin, not separation from sinners. And yet religion has made us blend those lines and we just don't see it clearly. Jesus said, John 17, 15 to 16 and verse 18, my prayer is that you would not take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. In other words, you're not of the world in that you have a different agenda. You're a changed person. But you are of the world in terms of you're a human being alongside other human beings. And he says, as you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Here's an equation that I've shared before with the church, but I want you to get this because this sums up very well what we're about. Here's the sum. Church plus gospel minus culture. So there's three things. Church, that's us. God's people, the covenant community. Culture. That's the world we're engaging. Gospel, that is our message about God's love, how he died on the cross, rose again to save you. Okay, so here we have a church that's preaching that message about God's on the cross and forgiveness of sins and all that. But they're totally disengaged with culture. They're completely culturally relevant. They're not making any attempt whatsoever to come alongside culture without compromising their convictions. What would you call them? fundamentalists. Not much fun and a bit mental. Okay, next equation. Church plus culture 
minus the gospel. This is, this is the church, or so-called church, engaging with culture. You know, we do tons of nice stuff for the community. We do tons of things, socially aware things. We, we kind of, you know, we, do, we really have connection. We have tons of groups that the community comes in, and we're all good friends with the community. But we don't mention the gospel. In fact, we're not even sure it's true, and we kind of question the virgin birth and, right, and all that, right? What's that? Some of you swore there. What? I felt like it too, I know. No, liberalism. Okay, it is a swear word. Liberalism. Okay, next, next equation. Gospel plus culture minus church. This is where you've got a bunch of good people, really good people. They believe in the stuff. They believe in the gospel. And they're engaging their culture very well. But it isn't the church. Because you know that not, not just because you call yourself Christian, you hang out at Starbucks, it doesn't make you church. It has to be a bit more biblically than that to make it church. So this is, this is called parachurch. That's not evil. That's great organizations like YWAM and OM and other people. Some of you folks have been involved with them in the past. They're great. But the bullseye is church. So here's our goal. Church plus gospel plus culture equals, that's our goal. That's what we want to be about as a church. Culturally relevant, not watering down the gospel one bit, but really engaging the people where they're at. Is that clear? We had a prophecy a few Sunday nights ago, the evening service. Gordon McIntosh was over from the Sterling Church. He really sensed God was saying, and, and he, he stood up here and he brought a word, and I really want you to hear this. And the word was this. God is going to open our doors and he's going to bring the needy of our city through our doors. And when he said that, I thought, no. <laughs> but the prophecy went on and says, because God says you're ready. And I have to tell you, I don't feel ready. I think you should see the number of problems we already have. <laughs> but God says you're ready. And I'm so excited. I am so excited. I believe God's going to bring some of the most needy, vulnerable people in our city through the doors into our services. And it's going to get you out of your comfort zones. And that's okay, because we kind of need that every so often. And you're going to have to meet with people who, wow, they're different to us. And that's great. That's great. Okay, how is this going to affect our lifestyle? First Peter 2, 11, this is back to the verses we started with. So he's told us our identity, we're a chosen race, we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, God's own possession. Then he goes on and gives us our mission. We're here to declare the excellences of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But now he goes on and makes it real practical. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts that war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, they observe them, glorify God in the day of his visitation. So Peter's talked about some mega themes, theological mega themes. He's talked about, you have an identity, you're a royal priesthood, a chosen race, you're God's covenant people, right? He's described that. And he said about your mission, your mission is to go proclaim his excellencies to a world who needs to hear it. But now he makes it real practical because that's nice and theoretical. That's, okay, we've got some nice thoughts in our head. Now he grounds it. He says, right, as a result, live this way among people. And actually, if you read on in the chapter, you discover he goes on to talk about the way you interact with your neighbors and your family. He goes on to talk about uh, your attitude towards government. He goes on to talk about how you treat your employer. He goes on to talk about how you treat your wife or your husbands. He makes it so practical. And do you know what? Big theological mega themes should be practical. It should influence the way we live. 
So you've got some nice thoughts today about how God wants you to be like Jesus, engaging our culture. So how are you going to do it? How am I going to do it? How are we going to do it this week? Let me just give you three things I want you to remember. And these are the three things I'm asking you to do for the rest of your life. Is that okay? Cool. Okay, number one, pray. Say pray. Pray. Number two, care. Say care. care. Number three, share. How did you know? Oh! Right. Say, pray, care, share. Pray, care, share. Can you do that? Well, you don't know. I haven't told you what they are yet. Right. So first of all, you've got to pray. You can pray for people. Do you know people who do not believe in God? Do you know people who do not believe in God, yet who have, well, they kind of vaguely believe in God, but they've never really authentically connected with him. Do you know what I mean by that? They're not just religious, but they, they're not born again. There's no aliveness in them, right? Anyone people, know people like that? How many people know dozens and dozens of people like that in our city? All of your hands should be up, surely. We'll pray for them. So just go, through, go have an itinerary of people. Think about your family members. Think about people in your street, people in your workplace, people you connect with through studies, people uh, you know in your local community, people at your gym, or you know when you go play football, or people at at, at Hearts or Tyne Castle, you go along, you know these people. Who, who are the people you know? You, do, you know, you love them, you think they're great people, but you know they don't know God. You're praying for them. Also, here's the other thing to pray for. Pray for opportunities. You know, do, do you through the day, is it at all ever on your radar, I could tell someone about Jesus today? Have you ever thought of praying, God, give me an opportunity today to tell someone about you? If you're not thinking like that every day, you really ain't got what you're here to do, have you? Our whole purpose, our collective purpose, is we are here to declare the excellences of him to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. So we should be praying, God, give me an opportunity today. Let that conversation go in that direction where I can engage that person with something about you. Not ram it down their throat, but give me an opportunity, God. Okay, number two, share. There's a story of a man called Doug Nichols who was international director of Action International Ministries. They worked in Asia, rescuing street kids, working with prostitutes, and working with the prisons. He fell ill while while as a missionary in India with tuberculosis. He was put into a sanitarium for several months, and it was a tough environment. When he went in there, he kind of went in there with a bit of an agenda as a missionary thinking, well, this is tough, but you know, I'm going to make the most of this. And he took some Luke's gospels with him and he was going to hand them out to some other folks in the sanitarium and hopefully get a chance to share about Jesus. But they just saw him as a white man or a rich American. They didn't want anything to do with him. So they refused to take his publicity and literature. Every night, in the middle of the night, about two o'clock in the morning, this guy, Doug, he would wake up coughing and spluttering and he would kind of wake himself up with the coughing and wheezing, and he really struggles through the night. And this happened on a regular basis. On one particular night, as he woke up, he was aware of an old elderly gentleman who was emaciated, and he was very, he was very skinny, and he was kind of really not doing too well at all. He was aware of the guy getting out of his bed, getting onto the edge of his bed, trying to stand up, and then falling back down in his bed and whimpering. And then rolling over into his bed again. In the morning, 
there was a horrendous stench in their dorm. And the nurse came and the guy had soiled himself. The nurse came and they cleaned up the guy and she actually slapped him because of the, the mess. Next night, this guy Doug woke up coughing and wheezing at two in the morning, just like he had done the, several nights leading up to it. And again, this old man was, you could see him struggling to get out of his bed and falling back again and, and start crying. And as he sat there and watched this guy, he dug himself feeling utterly weak and incapable. He got out of his bed, walked across the dorm to the old man, and the man cowered, expecting to be slapped. But instead, Doug reached down, picked him up, carried him through the toilet, which was just a hole in the floor, helped him, carried him back, placed him in bed. And as he placed him in bed, the old man bent over and kissed him on the cheek. A few hours later, four o'clock in the morning, Doug was wakened up with one of the other patients with a warm cup of steaming tea. And then the man indicated that he wanted one of his booklets. And from that day onwards, people all over the sanitarium were asking him for the booklets. You see, you know, we, we've got this message. But sometimes before we can preach it to someone, we've got to demonstrate God's love to someone. I believe our message is all about God's love. But sometimes we've got to demonstrate it. See, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And sometimes you've got to show it to them. I remember I was in Dublin Airport. I'd, I'd been preaching at Dublin Church. I was flying back here, and I was in Dublin Airport, and it was Ryanair. And Ryanair was late. It is late. <laughs> hey, so anyway, if you've flown Ryanair, you'll get that. I was waiting in the queue. Everyone was waiting. Flying into Presswick. There was a guy there, I think, and he said to me, do you know what time the plane's going? I said, I said, I said a time. I made up, you know. And, and, and he said, I don't, I don't think the buses, when did the buses stop going from Presswick to the city? I said, I, said, I don't know. But my dad was picking me up from Presswick. So I said, listen, if you want, my dad's coming to pick me up. Why don't you come with me and dad will give you a lift? It's just a complete stranger. The guy said, you serious? I said, Absolutely. So that, that was that. And I, we had a wee chat. He was golfing in Dublin. And that, and that kind of was conversation stopper. So that, and anyway, that was that. We got on the plane. I sat down. And as he, as he got on the plane, he looked for me and he came and sat beside me. And he sat down and we, and we got into conversation. And uh, he was one of the, the writers for Spitting Image. Remember Spitting Image? So he wrote some of the scripts for Spitting Image. And he just started talking to me about, so what are you doing in Dublin? Okay, let me tell you about Jesus. And so I said I was over there speaking in a church. I actually didn't go into a whole preach. I just said I was over there speaking in a church. I said, all right. What, do you believe in God? I said, yeah, I do. I said, all right, tell me about that. So I told him a bit more. Then he asked, he asked, honestly, if I could have scripted this, I should have been the script writer. If I could have scripted this, like ask this bit now to get that bit in, then ask this bit to get that next bit in. And he asked me all the questions necessary for me to share the entire gospel with him. And that was our flight to Glasgow Presswick. And as we got off the plane, he said, before I got on this plane, I would have described myself as an unbeliever. I am now totally reconsidering my stance. Thank you. We drove him back. We dropped him at Bishop Briggs. And I've never seen that guy since. But all I know is this. I just offered the guy a lift in my dad's car. And then that opened up the way for a conversation that might have led to his eternal salvation. So I just want to say, pray, then care. That's not hard. You can do those things. And then thirdly, share. Share. Just tell people. 
Rick Warren, who leads Saddleback Community Church in America. In, he, had, he was in an interview, and the year before that interview, he had baptized over 3,000 people in his church. And the interviewer said, Rick, how is it that you've baptized so many people in your church? Tell me about your evangelistic program. And Rick replied, we don't have an evangelistic program. The interviewer said, that's amazing. Well, how on earth have you baptized so many people in your church? And Rick said this, and I, and I quote, well, here's what we tell our people. Whatever you were doing before you became a believer, as long as it's not sin, keep doing it. If you play golf, keep playing golf with the same people. Don't start playing golf with church people. Keep playing golf with the same people you played with. Whatever you do, just keep doing the same thing you always did with the same people you used to do it with. And then if you're a halfway decent Christian, and most of you are, at some point, you will have a moment to engage them spiritually if you look for the opportunity. So look for the opportunities. The opportunities might come in the form of you're at work and someone's sitting there saying, do you know what? I'm really worried about my career. What can you do? Well, you can say, could I pray for you about that? Probably no one's offered that before. Or someone's in, the, in, in their studies thinking, I think I'm in the wrong course. I, I'm really, it's like my whole world's falling. I don't know what to do. It's, it's like, I thought this was right for me. Now I don't know. Can you go up and say, listen, I don't know either, but God does. Can we pray for you? Or someone's saying, listen, I'm going through a really rough time just now in my marriage. You can say, well, listen, we're about to speak about marriage in church. That's incidentally, that's next week's subject, marriage. We're going to speak about marriage and church. Why don't you come along to hear what the church has to say about that? So look for the opportunities and then go further. Share your faith with people. Tell people about Jesus Christ. Tell them about the good news. Folks, relationships are like bridges and truths are like lorries going across the bridges. The heavier the truth that goes across the bridge, the stronger the relationship needs to be to handle the lorry. Otherwise, the relationship will crack. Build the relationship with people. Share your faith with people. And sometimes that's a heavy truth. And then see what God does. You can't change anyone's life. But God just wants you to be a mouthpiece. We're his covenant people. He says, 1 Peter 2.9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness. Aren't you glad he called you out of darkness? Into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We've got such a mission. We are a community of God's people. We're going to love each other. We're going to be stronger in that than we've ever gone any other year. But we're not going to do that at the expense of forgetting our mission. Because our community comes from our mission, not the other way around. Our cause comes first and our community comes as a result. Let's pray. God, we want to say thank you so much that we were once not a people, but now we are the people of God. God, once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We used to just be bods on this earth, but now we have the privilege of saying, I am a child of God. I have a mission from God. I am part of God's covenant people. God, there is no, literally no higher honor on earth than being in your family, a believer in Jesus Christ, on a mission, 
under God. We thank you for this privilege. We thank you for this honor. And God, I'm asking you today that we will operate as that. We will not forget our mission, that we will be a strong community, but we will be a community on mission to reach our world for Jesus Christ. God, I pray we will be like you. I pray we will not hide away in our religious bubbles and disengage from ordinary people in our city. And I also pray, God, we will not be so completely engaged in our world that we forget to love our brothers and sisters in the church. I pray help us to live with this incredible balance in Jesus' name. Jesus, thank you that you're our role model. We want to thank you that you lived this life and you engaged with people that the religious of your generation refused to go anywhere near. And we want to say thank you that you connected with them. You touched people that no one else would touch. You loved people that others rejected. And you brought life to people who others consider beyond hope. God, we pray, let us be like you as God's people. Hi, I hope that today's message has helped you. If you want to find out more about us as a church, download more audio teaching, give us feedback, or make a contribution to our ongoing work and mission here in Edinburgh, please visit our website at destinyedinburgh.com. May God continue the great work that he is doing in your life.